Well, Happy New Year. It is uh, it's great to see everyone uh, today. And uh, I, I know that many of us were hoping to wake up on January 1 and it would all be over. Uh, unfortunately, that is, is not the case. Now with that, uh, I, I want to throw something out that life is full of where were you moments. I mean, think about that here for, for a second. I, I know that I remember exactly where I was standing, where, where Tara was sitting when I walked in the house and she told, it, told me that, that we were expecting our first child. A lot of times those where were you moments are, are collective as far as, as culture is concerned. So a few in the room, probably not very many, but a few in the room, you have the where were you moment on November 22nd, 1963. You know where you were. You know what you were doing when you got news that JFK had been shot. Now, for some of us, if you're kind of in my generation, uh, you might be able to answer the where were you when uh, you heard on, on January 28, 1986, that the space shuttle, uh, space shuttle Challenger had exploded shortly after takeoff. I know for me, I was in school, and I was in a classroom and actually watching the event live. Or where were you? On September 11th, 2001, when you heard that the World Trade Centers had planes that had flown into them and it became very apparent that America was under attack, where were you? So here's another, where were you? Where were you when you first heard about a virus out of China? Now, I had to think about that. I don't know where I was. You see, these, these moments like 9-11 and JFK and, and different things like that, they tend to be disruptive, and they tend to, to alter the, the patterns of life. But this is where COVID and the pandemic is much different than, than the other where were you moments is because there's really no where were you moment with this. But it has been highly disruptive in our, in our culture and in our society. There's another w way that this is different. Let um, me remember the iconic scene of, of W, and I call him W because um, he and I had a, a, an interaction at one point in time. I was at a Texas Rangers game when George W. Bush was uh, the president of, uh, of, the, of the Texas Rangers, and I was standing waiting for my youth group to come from Abilene, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, excuse me, son, I need to get through here. <laughs> w. So anyway, uh, George W. Bush is standing on the rubble of Ground Zero, right? And he is speaking, it's called the megaphone moment in history, where he is speaking with a megaphone and... Somebody cries out and says, I can't hear you. And he says these words, I can hear you. And the rest of the world hears you. And the people, and the people who knock down these buildings will hear from all of us soon. 
See, what that moment did is with all of the chaos and with all of the confusion that, that centered around 9-11, he brought clarity. He brought clarity to the environment to say, listen, a, a, a horrible thing has happened, but this, this is what's going to happen. Now, one of the challenges that we are dealing with today is that that COVID is, is different. And, and, and one of the ways that it is so different right now is there's, there's not the, the where were you moment. There's the disruption. But right now, we are living in a moment with little to no clarity of what things are going to look like in the near future. And, and so by, by virtue of that, let me just just tell you that's I believe that's one of the reasons why people are so apt to to grab a hold of conspiracy theories all right one of the reasons why we we grab a hold of conspiracy theories is uh, psychologists have actually said this they provide clarity in complexity so we're dealing with complex issues. These provide a, a simple, logical explanation. But with this, there's also confusion. There's also depression. There's also anxiety. There's also anger and just this vitriol that is happening. And I think a lot of this happens because we have too much time on our hands right now. Uh, a lot of people are out of work. They're sitting at their computers. They're figuring out what's going on. But we also don't know how to process when there's no clarity in life. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I, I've spent uh, all of my adult life, uh, probably was in the ministry too young, preaching and different things like that. But I've spent all of my life being a very de decisive and this is what needs to happen sort of guy. And right now, my confidence has eroded because there's no clear path forward. There's no clarity. And so now I get, I get Joshua. I, I, I get Moses. I get Daniel. I get Elijah from the Old Testament, these great Bible characters, because they had to walk with God when there was no clarity, when they didn't know what the next thing was. I, I know this year I have clung to like Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. I, I, I love Isaiah uh, chapter 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uh, hold you up with my victorious right hand. It tells me that, listen, I don't have to know all the answers. I just have to know God. I don't have to know everything that is going on. I just have to know that God, God is, he has already been victorious. And I can walk in that and I can relish in that. So I don't know a lot here today other than we are, we are walking through a period of, 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 of a lack of clarity. In fact, one church leader his name is Tom Rayner, has suggested that we are two years from really knowing what church is going to look like post-quarantine. We're two years away from knowing everything or knowing what 
what things might or, or could look like. So we have this, this angst, and, and I want to deal with that just a little bit here today and provide a, a little bit of clarity. Uh, I want to provide kind of a path for this year as Valley View Christian Church, kind of take our first Sunday of the year and really talk about what this year could look like and might look like. But uh, I'll even tell you, my wife came up to me after first service and the passage that I'm going to share today, she says, evidently you like to share this a lot uh, on the first Sunday of the year because she takes notes in her Bible. And she says, there's a lot of January um, you know, references to you preaching this in my Bible. So that's really great that she keeps notes and keeps me on my toes. So with that, old normal is gone, and it is not coming back. What old normal was, there's just a lot that is going to change in our culture and society. Let me just give you a couple of examples that uh, a lot of people are already talking about, and this will filter into the church. Some of those changes are, have accelerated over the last uh, uh, nine to ten months, but the way we watch movies I, I love to go to, to movies. In fact, Tara and I, our, our date nights, one of the things that we love to do, you know, it's all the way on the west side, we'd love to go to Flick's Brew House, and, and one of the things that we can do is we can watch a movie and have supper at the exact same time, and it's just a great environment, but we have angst on whether that will ever happen again. In fact, many major studios are already beginning the process of saying maybe theaters are not necessary right now. And so the way we watch movies, the way we go out to eat, they're already talking about the fact that waiters and waitresses might be a thing in the past as far as taking your orders. Already talking about restaurant architecture uh, will drastically change so that there was going to be more outdoor or all these things that could happen in our society. So I don't know what's going to happen. I can look at a lot of things in, in, uh, in the church that that might be a thing of the past. Now, one of the, the realities is, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to adopt what the, the people of Israel did after they left Egypt, they began to fantasize about what Egypt was actually like. And they wanted to go, and we call this in the ministry world, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And, and Christians and churches oftentimes are, are, are like that with church. And so as we move into whatever normal is going to become, we can be, become prisoners of, do you remember when church was? And do you remember what it was like when we were able to do this in church? And do you remember what it was like uh, about this right here? And I, I have fond memories of growing up in church. I, I, I have fond memories of, of what ministry was like. In fact, I can remember the, the joys of serving a church of 25 to 30 people when I was in grad school. And, and I look back fondly with that, but we can become prisoners. And it was actually the Apostle Paul that says, you know, he's talking about heaven, but he's also talking about earth. He says, pressing on, you know, forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal that, that Christ has called me heavenward. So ideally, I'm going to say that if we're not careful, we're just going to be living in the past. And so I don't know, and in fact, I'm not even going to use the term new normal. Evidently, that's a catchphrase that um, in, in the business world, people are saying, stop using that. So I'm not going to use it. I don't know what normal is going to look like a year from now. 
But I know it's not going to be what it was a year ago. And so we're going to be on a journey. And I thank you for your graciousness as a church, as we have plotted the course in this, this time of, of, of a lack of clarity. But we're on a journey of trying to discover what this is going to look like in the future. And it can really be a great ride. Also, our worship services are going to be smaller. If uh, I'll just tell you this. If COVID went away tomorrow and we were able to open the doors uh, wide open and go back to normal, our worship services are going to be smaller than they were a year ago. And I, I think there's, there's a couple of reasons why that is. I think there are going to be people, um, even when all is in the rearview mirror, they're going to be very skittish in re-entry into culture and society completely. And in fact, I, I know that many with pre-existing conditions and so on like that, uh, you're still grappling with what does this look like for me right now. Also, I think there's a fair number of people that... Um, They've just gotten out of the routine of going to church. And, and so they're going to drift. And, and, and so they've developed a life without church attendance. And uh, I'll tell you what somebody told me. They said this whole thing about my cup of coffee and my home pants and my living room and church. I kind of like this. Now, there are certain people that don't. But there are many people that have decided that this is a path for me that I I like. Now, now with that, that's another change that uh, I'm going to tell you about, and it's a certainty. We've transitioned from being a gathered church to a gathered digital and multi-site church over the last several months. Now, we talk about digital church. Some people say, well, I don't like it, but I want to talk about church. Church in its original meaning really had no spiritual connotations to it. When Jesus said, uh, on this rock I will build my ecclesia, which is the, the, the root word for church here, basically what Jesus is saying is that I will build my gathering. I will build my assembly of people. That's basically what church is. Church has then become a, a very spiritual in, in connotations here. But the way that we gather now changes as a church. The amount of time, the amount of man hours, the amount of energy, the amount of meetings, the amount of money that we have spent bringing everything together digitally over the last several months is mind-boggling. And it really has. I mean, the amount of money that we spend on video equipment and mixing and all the different things that has to happen with digital church uh, is, is a reality, that's not going away. In fact, it's, it's growing. I'll even go as far as to say, used to be the front door of the church was the front door of the church. Today, the front door of the church is everything that happens in the digital. And, and what we have discovered, even over the last several months, is that people began watching us online before they attended on site. And so they were firmly entrenched into kind of uh, in the digital church and being the digital congregation. I'll also share this. Uh, uh, one of the things that we do every Tuesday morning is we get together as a staff uh, during our staff meeting. And, and we pray over all of the prayer requests that come in through uh, the website and, and the church app and different things like that. Uh, and 
I, I, I'm a guy that likes to keep score. Um, I've spent my whole life counting. Uh, you know, I, I get my, my self-esteem by how many people are here, what our offering is, and how many baptisms have we had. And so, you want to talk about a, an exercise in humility over the last year. You know, we went from 800 down to zero in a nanosecond as far as meeting on site. And, and so it, it was... Yeah, so I count. So I, I get the prayer card, um, Excel sheet and different things like that. And so what I'll do is I'll count how many prayer requests that we have. And then I'll go through and go, not here, not here, not here, not here, not here. And amazingly, sometimes as many as 50% of the prayer requests that we pray over on a Tuesday morning were from people that are watching online. So that's, that's mind-boggling to me. But then we also add into multi-site. Uh, back in August of, of 19, we began a partnership uh, with Gallup Christian Church. Uh, they were on the brink of closure. Uh, within a few months of us sending preachers out and doing some coaching, uh, we had gotten them to a place uh, of stability and health, and we began to kind of have some internal discussions is, what if we, what if we were really in? What if it wasn't just sending our video out? Or what if it wasn't just us going out every once in a while and talking to them? What if they became a campus of Valley View Christian Church? Now, I don't know what the future of that's going to hold. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. There's a little bit of trepidation. There's a geographical challenge. There's some cultural challenges with Gallup. Actually, New York Times on December 27th ran an, an article about the community in the United States that was hit hardest from COVID, Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, in, in many ways, is, is the place that the church world in New Mexico and the rest of the United States has forgotten. But one of the things that it just keeps impressing on me is that, listen, Gallup needs Jesus. The people of Gallup, there are many, are faithful followers of Jesus. But there are many, like everywhere, who are far from God. And so uh, I'm going to offer this challenge. I'll offer it at the end of the service here today as well. But I want to say this. If you're looking for a place to serve, I want to share that there are two particular areas where we need a lot of people, and that's one in digital <laughs> church and what it might look for you to be part of a team that's entrenched and going out to Gallup maybe once a month and saying how can I serve there and how can I help that campus become thriving in an area that needs churches so with all the things that are unclear there's one that is clear Jesus gave his church a clear mission. Jesus gave his church a clear mission. The reason why, uh, it seems like every January my wife has a particular passage in her notes, is because I believe Jesus gave clear marching orders to his church. And oftentimes we use this particular passage as our, our justification for doing missions in the church. I want to shift that idea. 
I want to shift the idea away from saying this is why we do missions to help us understand we are not a church that merely does missions. We are a mission with a very clear mission. Let's look at that mission that Jesus gave us here today. This is what he says in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, when Jesus says, I have all authority, listen, there's not a place that my influence and my authority does not exist in the entire spectrum of what we call God's creation, which is so incredibly vast. Jesus says, I have all authority here. I have all authority in heaven. So if Jesus leads with that, if Jesus leads with that, that's pretty profound. That means what he's about to say carries a lot of weight. And this is what he continues to say. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name uh, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when I study the Bible, I like to look at words. Uh, I like to look at the words that kind of were in the original state and, and really the word order and different things like that. Kind of a nerd that way uh, with the Bible. But I want to bring out a couple of items from this that I think are so vitally important. We, we oftentimes look at verse 19. In fact, verse 19 begins with, therefore, go. Therefore, go and, and make disciples. But the emphasis is not on the therefore. In fact, actually, the first word that is mentioned here is go. And the idea here of go is going. So Jesus, as he is saying this, is, it has a firm expectation of the church that it will be actively going and doing what needs to be done to connect people to Jesus. See, our, our mission statement of the church is very clear. We connect people to Jesus and his way of life. That's what we do. It's from this right here. The church, the marching orders, the clear directive of what we are to be doing is making disciples, connecting people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's our business. That's our mission. Great challenge right now. What's the great challenge of this? It's hard to connect people to Jesus when we can't connect with people. That's what the challenge that we are facing right now. That's internal discussions. We don't know what this looks like. But it's one that I would ask that you would pray for the staff, pray for the church, that we might gain clarity in this. Because right now, we're, I'd love to say I know I've got this and I know what we're going to do. The reality is, for 28 years of ministry, I could have told you what this looked like. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. But we're on an incredible journey together to figure out what that looks like. There's also something else here. 
that I, I think is very important. If you go to verse 20, and, and it, it starts with, teach these new disciples to obey. Teach these new disciples to obey. Actually, the, the idea is teaching. Now, here's the cool thing. Teaching is not just a verb here. It is also a noun. So the idea is that we are to be about this very, very purpose. Teaching is our purpose. Now, this teaching is going to look different. In fact, it, I can remember uh, you know, a lot of years ago when my dad was young in his faith that he went through a thing at our church that was called equipping the saints. Okay, so I'm going to put a bunch of people in a room together and tell them, this is what you do, this is what you believe, and so on like that. Now, uh, I'll even go as far as to say that uh, Jesus didn't necessarily teach that way. Jesus' teaching oftentimes was, was organic, and uh, he used real-life situations and told stories. And I, I wonder how many times a, a, a disciple of Jesus might be like 15 years later and go, he was teaching me then because they didn't really even know it because in the context of relationship, it was a context uh, uh, of this organic sort of movement. And that's the idea of teaching here. Teaching is, is, is a thing that starts, but it also progresses and it has a goal that we are working toward. And the whole idea here is that we adopt Jesus' way of life. In other words, we begin to look like Jesus. The more time we spend with someone, the more we ought to look like them. That's the, that's the power of influence. And so one of the beauties of life in the church is when I do life with someone, when just organically sometimes we hang out with one another, I begin to see things in them that reveal discrepancies in my own walk and relationship with Jesus. I got a friend. He's in the room. But he's helped me more in prayer than he will ever grasp or understand. See, I'm one of those. I've got ADD. I've never been diagnosed, but I'm squirrel guy. Okay? I, I'm just that guy. And so I pray like that. So I pray and I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm intentional about it. I'm going to focus on Jesus right now. And then I start thinking about lunch and I start thinking about all this stuff. Anybody with me? Okay, and, and so he's helped me understand that sometimes when, when there's a rabbit trail, he'll actually pray, okay, God, what do you want to, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about this. What do you want to talk about right now? And it helped me give myself a lot of grace and really helped me grow in prayer so that I can connect to Jesus more. So, listen, folks, I, I think that there's going to be, over the next year, year and a half, discomfort. I'm nearly 50, and I'm beginning to realize this, that um, my desire to change and my comfort level of change sometimes is not what it used to be. 
at the same time, inaction might be the worst course of action right now. To say, you know what, we're just going to do it the way we've always done it. And fortunately, you have a group of leaders here at the church. I'm going to tell you, they've worked their rears off this year trying to figure this thing out. And we're not there yet, but we do believe that we have a, a couple of items that I think are very important as we move into this new year called 2021. One is this. We're going to take this time this year, 2021, that we spend together in study and worship, and we're going to be discipled by Jesus. Here's brutal reality. Most of us are more discipled by whatever it is that's on the internet, by social media, by Fox News, by CNN, by MSNBC, whatever news channel is, we are more discipled by that than we are on the person of Jesus. And so this year, uh, we're going to really dive into to Jesus. Starting in February, I'm going to talk about January here in a moment, but starting in February, uh, we're going to open up our Bibles. If you want to start going with this, we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to start with the book of Mark. And we're going to start with Mark 1, and we're going to go all the, all the way through Mark uh, chapter 16. We're not going to go through every passage, but we're going to spend 31 weeks studying the life of Jesus. We are going to be discipled by Him and His life, His teaching, and His influence. So I'm excited about that. Also, we're going to love our neighbor. Jesus. In fact, next week we're going we're gonna to start a series called The Art of Neighboring. Now, as introvert guy, this scares me to death. All right? It, it does, because we're going to really challenge on the idea of maybe Jesus literally meant that we are also to love our neighbors. Now, as East Mountainers, that may be person five miles down the road, but there's, there's something inside of us. In fact, I have a friend from, uh, that, that does some church planning that came out one time. And uh, he drove around the East Mountains. And he's, he's from the Midwest and different things like that. And, and I'll say it in a nicer way than he said it. He said, it just kind of looks like people move out here and say, give me my acre or five acres and leave me the heck alone. <laughs> After almost 20 years here, my wife, when we first moved here, <laughs> she was like, I, I want to live in a neighborhood. I want neighbors. I want our kids to grow up to where they can play with kids and so on like that. And now she's saying, five acres, just give me 10 acres. 20 acres is all I'm asking for. Because that's kind of, we get into that. And so we're going to be stretched in, in, in that here today or, or next week. And Jim and I are actually going to get up and talk together. Also, we're going to engage our community. The day and age of this whole notion of, of people just coming to church and us waiting for people to come is not going to happen. When people are, are going through difficult things in their lives, church is not automatically the first place that they say, hey, I think I'll turn to that. So the idea of come and, come and stay is, is no longer the, the best path for, for, 
for us to reach people. Instead, I believe it needs to be go and engage. Now, we do Love Week, and we do outreach things here as a church, but we're going to ramp that up this year because we love our community, and we love the Gallup community, and we believe that people who are far from God are going to live in, in, a, in a place that God does not want them to be until they are firmly entrenched into a walk and journey with a person of Jesus. And so if they're not coming here, the obligation is what we do in here has got to matter out there. So we're going to engage the community. Uh, and we're going to ramp that up. Also, uh, and this is probably going to be the strangest thing you hear all day, we're not going to dance with dinosaurs. <laughs> in 1994, I read a book called Dancing with Dinosaurs by a man by the name of Bill Eason or William Eason, who is a church strategist, church kind of guru sort of guy. He said, if you go into a museum and there's these, these old cold dead bones that are called dinosaurs, you begin to kind of envision a time in the past and you romanticize that time in the past and you, you kind of place yourself there. He said, listen, if churches are not careful in a hostile world, in a world where, where people do not, know, uh, do not know God through Jesus, here's the reality. Churches are going to spend all their time going, you remember when we did this and we remember we did this and they have the inability to change and adapt so that people who are dying do not die and go to hell. And so listen, there's going to be times of discomfort. We're going to try new things. We're trying something different on our Sunday night worship service right now. It may flop. But we're not going to sit idly by while people go to hell. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I got a text from John and Tim, who they do a lot of our tech stuff here. And they said, well, we're, we're probably ready on this particular Sunday to make this change right here, should we do it? And I said, pedal to the metal. Let's get it done. We've got to do whatever we can do so that uh, people don't die. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. So with that, a couple of items. I have a friend in Philadelphia who wrote a book on hell. And he said that if we truly believe in the existence of hell and that people are dying and when they die, they're looking at an eternity without Christ. We must live with apocalyptic urgency. Apocalyptic urgency means that we live with this whole notion and idea that constantly people, people are dying. One of the things that you've not heard people say is, you know, however many hundred thousand people who have died of COVID this year. How many of those didn't know Jesus? That ought to impact us more than anything else. So it doesn't mean be weird or anything like that. In fact, I'll even say apocalyptic urgency might mean that we are the most normal people on the face of the planet. And I'll finally say this. I know me and I know that when things are difficult and when there's kind of ambiguity in my life, I lean away from people and I lean away from Jesus.
So I'll just say this here today. Lean in. Lean into your family. Lean into your church family. And lean into Jesus. There's a lot I don't know right now, but I do know that there is one answer, and his name is Jesus. And after God gave Jesus to the world, God gave the church. And he basically said, go tell them about Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. May we be about him. I pray this in his name. Amen.